here with Alex Swallow. Hi, Alex. How are you? Hello, Fenjon. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm all right. You're the uh, influence expert, I believe. That's your middle name. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, that's my uh, official title. It, it sounds rather grand, but I'll go on to explain probably why it isn't. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on, because I think influence is not only a really interesting topic that people ask us to train on, teach on, or, or, or talk about in, in learning and development workshops, but it's also a skill that we need as learning and development professionals, because we need to influence either, if you're an external, you need to influence to get work, and then obviously internal and external both need to influence to encourage people to do, take best practice learning and development approaches which is not always what they might want to do initially anyway. So influence is a really important topic for us from lots of different angles. So how, how do you approach this? How do you come at it? Yeah, I mean, I think you've given some really good examples there of where we might like to influence. Uh, for me, my background was actually in the charity sector and as a social entrepreneur. And I realised how critical influence was to that work. Um, I was mainly working at smaller charities and I was a chief executive of something called the Small Charities Coalition. And I saw how to punch above their weight. Smaller charities really needed to be on point with their messaging, um, understanding their story and trying to reach out to other people to influence them. And I realised that influence had actually been a thread throughout my work. I studied politics at university, for example, and I've lived and worked in several countries. And I saw that as something that was really important. And I thought it was a topic that merited further investigation. And what I've really found is that influence as a topic seems to be something that people are discussing a lot more now in modern life. And influence can really be anything from its most basic level. It might be influencing a member of your family, your siblings, your parents, your son or daughter. Um, but then it can be anything from influencing somebody to give you a raise or a job or influencing your peers or colleagues, or perhaps in our case, influencing other people to learn effectively. You said then that it was something that people had started to talk about. Mm. Why do you think that's happened? Is, was there reluctance to talk about it before? Yeah, I think I think there's a number of uh, factors in play, perhaps. Um, one of them is just that the power of the Internet has brought influence to more people. So when I when I do training, I often say to people how actually, you know, uh, not that long ago, unless you were a person in a position of actual influence. So perhaps you were a politician or a, a, a newspaper editor the chance that you had to get your idea, ideas out there into the world were probably not very big. Whereas now, many people can get their ideas out. Um, people can start a blog or a YouTube channel, um, or there's different ways that or they can podcast. share. a podcast. A podcast. Oh, a podcast. That's yeah, a don't forget thing. that, Alex. Forget the sake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was only forgetting that because uh, I, I'm not so experienced with running my own podcast, but a podcast, absolutely. And that's a great thing as well, is that, Whatever people are passionate about, they now have the opportunity to do that. So, you know, some people are more visual. Some people like to uh, like to talk. Uh, some people like to write. And so there's a variety of ways that you can get your influence out there. Um, but the other thing I'd say is that people have had a general nervousness um, sometimes about personal branding, which can be a key part of influence. And speaking as a Brit, I think British people can particularly be a bit reluctant to think about themselves um, as a brand as if they were a tube of toothpaste. And so I think this is something that in the changing world of work in particular, people are realising that, well, like it or not, they need a little bit of in their lives. And that's one of the reasons why I think influence is getting more important as a concept. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about the personal brand and the cultural sensitivities around that. Mm. Because I think I think you're absolutely right that as uh, as soon as you start talking about that, it it does the tuba toothpaste thing, but it also sounds a little bit kind of um, what's the word? It, it's just very sort of buzzwordy. Yeah, and it, it's kind of do you know what I mean? It's almost yeah. it's it, it's almost what people don't want to hear. Yeah, I found in that in that situation. Yeah. So how, how would you define it? How would you define personal brand in a way that makes that land better? Well, the the main thing I'd say is just that we have a personal brand, whether we like it or not. Um, and that's the reason why I think people need to control it. Um, for example, somebody might say, oh, they don't really have a personal brand because they're not on social media sites like LinkedIn and Facebook. But I say, unfortunately, that is your brand. So 
if I hear that somebody isn't on LinkedIn on Facebook, I, I interpret that in a certain way. It might be that I think they're a, a strong willed person or they don't they want data privacy, or it might be that I think that they don't care about their brand. But in either way, I interpret what it is that they're doing. So ultimately, even if people don't want to spend a long time working on their personal brand, their personal brand could be as something as simple as how they introduce themselves to other people. And more critically for me, perhaps, how they think about their own work. Um, I think one of the things about the changes in work is that we have to kind of give ourselves our own titles. So going back to my rather grand title of the influence expert, I had to come up with that in order to communicate to people what it is that I do, rather than there wasn't a role that I applied for and decided whether that title was relevant to me. So I think in the modern world of work, people are having to do these things anyway. And if they can control it a little bit, they'll feel a bit more comfortable with the idea of their own brand. Yeah, I think it's mainly the wording, isn't it? I think you're absolutely yeah. right that people have a brand anyway, whether you like it or not, yeah. exactly as you just said. And I think you, you summed it up well there because you talked about you have a reaction or you have a perception of it. Yeah. So even something as, as simple as not being on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever, or how you introduce yourself, even as something as simple as that, we do walk away with an impression of somebody. Yeah. And I think, you know, and when you think, well, that's happening anyway, you might as well take control of it or at least try to take control of it. That's completely it for me. I mean, um, for me, the most Im the most important thing when I think about the type of life I'd like to live and I try to support others to live is just the idea of what I'd call the, uh, the examined life. I think it was maybe Socrates, but you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, who said the unexamined life is not worth living. And for me, all that really means is that if a person doesn't want to be on Facebook or LinkedIn or particularly protect their personal brand, that's absolutely fine. But I just would prefer that was a choice, um, a, a real choice based on some decisions about what they think is important rather than a lot of people I think are just nervous. They think that their LinkedIn profile won't be good um, or they think that people will um, try to sell things to them all the time. So if people are taking decisions based on the principles that they want to live their life by, then I think that's amazing. It's only when people sort of sleepwalk into a certain situation that I think it's a shame. I think I think that's right. It's about not sleepwalking into it, isn't it? I, I do like your link there to Socrates, the, the <laughs> idea of it needs to be an examined life. I do like that. With, with the personal brand thing, just one thing that I kind of, when I've done things like leadership development training mm. and stuff like that, and we talk about the importance of this, I'm kind of almost apologizing as I'm talking about it because it just sounds very buzzwordy and it sounds yeah. almost like I need to be wearing some braces and <laughs> and um, my sort of Yorkshire twang doesn't quite make it leap off the page. But I think that the idea of a personal brand is is what other people say about you when you're not there. It's around this idea of your reputation. And that's happening anyway. So I think it's a really powerful concept. Yeah, I think I think that's I think you've you've really um, hit the nail on the head there about it's what it's what people say about you when you're not in the room. And of course, we can look at that from a negative perspective. People might, um, you know, make you think that they like and respect you. You leave the room and they say something entirely different about you. But one of the things that I found which was absolutely wonderful is. I started to build my brand in the charity sector when I set up a small charitable organisation called Young Charity Trustees, which helps with uh, board diversity. And it gave me a real niche and a real angle to talk to people about the concepts that were important to me. And what I quite often found, perhaps because I was one of the few people doing this work, is somebody would tell me, oh, another person was speaking to me about what it is that you're doing. Or another person recommended your work or said that I should talk to you. And that's a wonderful thing is that if you have a decently defined personal brand, it means that there's a lot of conversations that you don't need to necessarily be part of and your work and your ideas can still spread. So when we talk about personal brand, then I mean, we don't want to go on about this for too long, but it is, a, it is kind of one of the key foundations. So it is around that what other people think about you when you're not there, what they say when you're not in the room. It's it, in the same way that we have an opinion when we see the McDonald's logo. Yeah. We have an emotional response to that. So that's kind of what we're talking about there. Yeah, um, com what, completely. Go on. Were you going to say no, something? No, I was going to say completely, but I think the other thing that I, I imagine is scary to people about having a personal brand is also that they think it's some fixed thing. Um, 
that and that it won't change over time. So McDonald's perhaps being an, an example, um, you know, we all have a reaction to McDonald's positive or negative, and we, we've grown up with having McDonald's in some way in our lives. And um, even McDonald's tries to change its brand over time. I mean, when I go into some McDonald's now, they're almost unrecognisable to what I remember from uh, going as a child. Um, and so actually, I think one of the liberating things when you think about personal brand is, it's your personal brand right now, and perhaps what you'd like it to be for the medium term. It can change over time. You can adapt and refine it, and you're going to adapt and refine it when you meet and network with other people. I think people think maybe it has to be set in stone, and that's one of the things that is terrifying about it for them. That's a really good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But you're absolutely right. I mean, McDonald's is a good example in that case, because it has uh, transformed or not transformed that's a bit yeah, too strong adapted. but it's certainly changed adapted yeah, yeah. And, and, and quite slowly actually you know I mean I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of McDonald's but so I'm not like a regular but or anything but it has attempted to kind of nudge itself into a different space over a period of time Oh, completely. And one, just say one example of that is um, for any of your listeners who are in the UK or in London. Um, since I've been back in the UK for a bit, I've noticed the main adverts about McDonald's at the moment are actually about their coffee offering um, and sort of contrasting their coffee offering with more expensive hipster coffee offerings. And the idea that McDonald's is defining itself, at least temporarily, around coffee is is quite different. So you can see over time as trends change, people might have an identifiable personal brand, but the way in which they explain their personal brand may change to people as well. So it might be that underlying actually their personal brand hasn't changed, but the way that they interpret that for other people can change over time. So again, it shouldn't be so intimidating to people that they fix it once and for the rest of their working life, they just have one personal brand. Yeah, I think these are kind of lifelong reflections yeah. and, and nudging around to, to get these things. But, but listen, I want to move on a bit from personal brand. We might touch on it again later, I'm not sure. But uh, you mentioned this comment of the examined life. And, and I think we've already mentioned a couple of times this idea of taking a deliberate approach to this and thinking, well, I've got a brand anyway, I might as well deliberately think it through. The question that always comes up at this point for me when, when I'm doing this is people say, where does influence stop and manipulation start? <laughs> wow. That's, that was a knowing laugh, wasn't it? You must have been, been <laughs> through this several times, I'm guessing. Well, uh, no, actually, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of laughing because I've not heard it phrased um, quite in that way before. I, I, I've generally seen it more in terms of just simply, you know, positive and negative influence in the terms of that some of the most influential people in human history have provided a negative influence on many people's lives. I think to sort of counter the idea of manipulation and where that line is probably crossed is that in order to influence someone effectively, um, I think what you need to do is to essentially, and buzzword again, engineer a win-win situation for both people. Um, so I can give an example of that. Do you, do you watch The Apprentice at all? No, I don't. Okay, so for anyone who watches The Apprentice, obviously each week they, they have some sort of business task. And in these business tasks, they often decide, you know, the winning team is the person or is the team who have made the most sales, for example. The reason why a lot of what they do seems to me quite unrealistic is they don't care at all about building ongoing relationships with the people that they're trying to sell to. So what that means is that actually, as the viewer, you might see that they've pretty much lied to the people that they're selling to. Um, but if, if uh, Alan Sugar, um, who's running the program, doesn't pick that up, then that doesn't matter. They're just the winner and they move on. What happens in actual interactions with real people in the real world is that if we do treat someone badly, so if we do manipulate someone, in the short term, we might do very well. In the short term, they might buy our product or our service or listen to what we have to say. But after a certain point, if they realize that they're being manipulated and they realize that we only care about ourselves, they're going to stop listening to us and it won't be effective. So I think manipulation is only going to be possible, really, in the short term. It's not going to be a possible long term way of doing things if you want to have influence over people over time. OK, I like that. I think that's a good uh, definition and a good way of splitting the two things up because they're both they're both essentially around trying to get other people to do stuff. Yeah. But we're saying influence is generally 
about win-win, whereas manipulation is win, don't care. I win, don't care about you. Yeah, I mean, I would, I suppose if I had to define it, I would say effective influence is about win-win. And by effective influence, I mean influence that will persist over time. So it's not just your interaction with that person and how it might be affected in the future um, if you manipulate them. That's the issue here. It's also that if you manipulate a person and you never speak to them again, but they speak to someone else who you want to influence in the future, then your reputation is going to be damaged. So short term, these things might not be an issue, but longer term, unless you change your behavior, they're definitely going to be an issue um, for your credibility, for your reputation and for how other people see you. So we, we talked about, um, you know, taking control of this in that kind of examined life idea and looking for win win. And, and I think you said I like the way you said it there in terms of effective influence persists over time. And that's a good way of thinking about it, because manipulation can't persist over time. Yeah. And we talked about how personal brand is an important aspect in influencing, but it's obviously not the only aspect. So what other factors come into influencing? So I think the most important one for me and probably the one that I think people need to think most carefully about when they're thinking about uh, influence is the idea of understanding what it is that the other person actually wants. And to, in order to do that, you first need to define who your audience is and then how you're going to convince them. I think a lot of people don't spend enough time thinking about who their audience is. And it's something that I sometimes struggle with myself because um, I'm a person who likes to get my ideas out to as many people as possible. But often to be an effective influencer, you really need to hone in on the people who are going to be most interested in your message. You need to work out who your audience is because then your method of getting to them in the first place and then convincing them is going to change so much depending on who they are. So it's about that understanding the other person, the, I guess, empathy comes into that, understanding what they want. Um, I, I suppose to some extent we kind of do that naturally. Yeah. But what tips have you got to kind of do that more professionally, more consistently? And perhaps do it with people that we don't necessarily have that natural empathy with. Uh, that's uh, but particularly that 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 qualifier at the end is is really really useful for me I think because what I think we're trying to do is really in order to influence people is to find out the common ground that we have with them or the intersection of what it is that we have to offer and what it is that we want. So in terms of uh, how you can improve this one of the things you do you have to do is just to practice so it's just something that's going to come with experience one of the best ways to practice is to spend some time with people who are not very much like you and don't think the way that you think and the reason why that's so important is that also in the modern world maybe especially online while we have the opportunity to speak to all different types of people there's a lot of worry at the moment about silos of just people talking to each other. And you can really see this in political discourse at the moment. One of the things that I like to do and I try to do is to speak to as many different types of people as possible. And I don't always achieve that. So if I speak to somebody who seems to be a very different person to me with very different interests and concerns, I try to find some points of common interest that are things that we are able to speak about. Um, uh, and that we do have links in common. And so this could be anything, and it's best to steer away perhaps from controversial um, subjects. If you can get people talking about things that they like, um, then they're much more likely to be interested in what it is that you have to say. So one of the most important things that I'd say in influencing other people and building up that rapport is that you need to find a way to get people talking about things that they enjoy. And this doesn't necessarily have to be professional things. So it could be something as simple as uh, their favourite writer or something about sport or music. It's really important to get people thinking in a positive fashion when they're talking to you, rather than just thinking in opposition to the point that you're trying to make to them. Right. So it's looking for that common thread. And I, I like the point you made then as well, actually. I think this is a really, really important one is spending time with people that don't think like you. Yeah. Because our natural biases, are we, we like people that are like us and we will gravitate to that kind of thing where we're going to have much more of a bit of a banter and a, a natural understanding. And it's just bloody hard work speaking to some people, quite frankly. 
it's so it can be so difficult. Um, one of the ways in which I actually got to practice this um, in two ways, in fact, which were very important for me is I used to be an intern for an MP in their constituency office. And as I'm sure you can imagine, when people are phoning up the MP, uh, many of them have an issue, either an issue with the MP or they're not very happy about something. And at the time, I was quite nervous about using the telephone as well I, I, for, for a variety of reasons. So it's a good opportunity for me to practice trying to influence people over the telephone. And I remember there was a particular man who phoned up. I think at first he was swearing about the MP and I had to tell him if he kept swearing, I was going to put the phone down. And he ended up by um, we dis we discovered we had a complete shared love of Romania. Um, and he ended up playing me, I think, some Romanian music over the telephone. And I was talking to him for quite a while. And I could just see my colleagues around me pretty confused because I, I changed the conversation essentially from one where he just wanted to hurl abuse down the phone to one where we were practically, you know, going to meet up for dinner um, because we'd gotten to a subject that we were both genuinely passionate about. I, I, I'm fascinated to know how you managed to get onto the subject of Romania and Romanian folk music. When you've got somebody swearing about the MP down your phone, that just—it doesn't feel like that was a single step. No, I don't think it was a single step, and unfortunately, it was uh, too long ago for me to uh, completely remember. But I think quite often, if you give people the space in which to express their concerns and then the things that are important to them, um, actually the conversations can go in some quite interesting directions. So when you were saying about, you know, there are some people that we don't like or don't like the way um, they think or don't like spending time with them, I think quite often there's people who superficially I don't think I'm going to like. And then when I talk to them, um, I actually find that we have a lot more in common. And so I think with this person, all they really needed in that situation was for somebody to actually listen to their concerns. And, and I've seen this in a number of um, areas of people's lives where a lot of people are used to just people treating them as if they're idiots, as if their cause or their concern is of no value. And just by recognising that they might have something important and a, an important grievance actually opens them up to make them be less in opposition to you and the, the organisation you represent. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point. It's just giving people that time because so few people have the opportunity just to talk, to actually yeah. have someone to listen. People are so bad at listening. Completely. Just, just, Completely. just the skill of being able to actually listen, having the patience to do it. Because, I mean, that's part of it as well. Because if you are somebody like me who's not necessarily a people person, and although I, quite, I don't mind people in theory, I do find it can de-energise me after a certain amount of time. So to do that, to really go and listen to somebody properly, it's quite hard work over a period of time. Yeah, yeah, it is. And actually, do you know what? I, I think that's only something I've realised quite recently because I'm, you know, I'm would consider myself a person who's quite a natural networker. I love meeting different people. I'm pretty outwardly confident. Um, I'm also a person who needs quite a lot of my, my own space and, and home time. And I think one of the most important thing with any of these interactions is just to realise what feels comfortable to you. Um, and one of the reasons I've noticed it recently is just because at the moment my wife and I have been travelling um, mainly across Europe, living in different European cities. And most of the time we just spend time with each other. And so when I've uh, come back and living in London at the moment, I've been to all sorts of meetings, networking, social events. And all of a sudden I'm speaking to loads of different types of people. And I often feel exhausted after it. And I think it's for the reason in a way that I'm kind of out of practice. But it's also for the reason I think that I do really try to listen to the other person. I'm sure I don't get it right most of the time, but I do at least try to listen to the other person and try to steer the conversation in a direction that I feel will be comfortable to them and not just comfortable to me. But that can be quite tiring sometimes. Yeah, I imagine. And also there's an element of this around authenticity as well, because, you know, what you're doing now could feel like the other person that they're being played. Do you know what I mean? If yeah, it's not necessarily yeah. a natural behaviour for you or if you're kind of consciously thinking, how can I steer this conversation into to get them to speak positively about things that they like? If you're on the receiving end of that, that can sometimes feel around this person's just trying to ingratiate themselves or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. And actually, um, uh, for my work, I developed a model called the LEAPS model. And the A of that model is actually authenticity. And authenticity is a real buzzword at the moment. And we could have a, a huge discussion probably on that. But I think quite a lot of the time, the, the difficulty with influencing people effectively is what you really need to do is you need to have um, a method or a system for influencing people where you think about all these things we've been talking about, but you need to try to do it in a way that seems effortless. And the way that might happen, for example, in uh, with the example you've just given where a person might feel that they're being played, is that in a conversation, of course, you should also be spending some time talking about your things that you like and giving the other person a breather. But I think if you see a networking event Quite often, there's a lot of competition between people to who gets to talk about themselves. And so if when people talk to you, you're not pushing back at them all the time and you're giving them the space to talk, they're going to enjoy talking to you. They're going to find that a pleasurable part of their evening because many people in some form like to talk about themselves. So I think a lot of that comes down to practice as well. You know, it's one of those things that you can you will get better at the more you practice it. The more you think about it, the more it will feel natural. And the more you can do it authentically, it is a matter of practice, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's I'm just, speaking kind of for myself as a naturally yeah. introverted person, and I kind of need practice at this. But even then, even when I've seen more extrovert people, more sociable people than, than I am, even then, the, 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 the bit they need to practice is to kind of shut up and let the other person speak. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. We all need practice. But the lovely thing about this is that you can practice in contexts that are not important for your work or your professional life. So I can I can give a particular example. I actually wrote about this example. So I was living in Prague with my wife, and um, I'm particularly into Czech beer. It's my favourite beer. I went to a local pub, and my interaction with the barman, um, he was a barman and a waiter, um, started off really badly. Basically, I'd been waiting outside, um, nobody had come to see me and, and, and serve me at this restaurant, and so I, I went in to speak to him, and I don't know whether he didn't like my manner, but I didn't like his manner, and we got off on the wrong foot. After that, I just thought to myself, now look, I can have an un unpleasant experience in a pub that I was otherwise liking, it was my local pub, or I can try and change this around and try to influence him to like me a little bit more. And I knew it was of no consequence. Maybe he's just a grumpy person and it's not going to work. It's certainly not going to affect my job prospects. So I started to do things like tell him how much I like Czech beer, Czech beer, tell him how much I like the beer that he just poured for me. And I gave him a tip at the end. And over the course of our interaction, his demeanor towards me changed quite a bit. Now, I could be authentic in doing that because I really do like Czech beer. I wasn't just making it up and I like German beer, but I hate Czech beer. But also, it was just the normal pleasantries of life. When he brought me something, I thanked him. I tried to smile at him, perhaps. I tried to make him feel important. And I considered, as I was sitting there, that maybe he'd had a bad morning that was nothing to do with me. So in that way, I felt that I wasn't manipulating him, but I was reacting to him in a way that maximised my chances of getting on with him and ultimately meant it would be a nicer time for me as well as hopefully for him. That's a really good example, because as you said, it's of no consequence. Yeah. So it's a great practice opportunity. And I, I actually do this very similar things, like with just inconsequential meetings with people like a bus driver saying hello when you get on and, yeah. and, and things like that. Just those very inconsequential meetings thinking, well, actually, this is an opportunity for me to sort of practice the fact that maybe I'll practice smiling. So I don't actually have a very smiley face, as I keep getting told, um, <laughs> <laughs> rather annoyingly. Um, but, you know, those sort of things, just practice that kind of like, I'm, I'm naturally very reserved. So I struggle to kind of express my emotions because I find them, I, I'm very shy and reserved about that. I find that quite hard. But to other people, that might look quite cold or distant or aloof. And I'm not particularly any of those things. So yeah. it's actually quite useful for me to use these very inconsequential meetings just to kind of try and sparkle a bit. I just try and force myself yeah. to... Yeah. To do that, so I think that's it. I really do re like that example. I also share your love of Czech beer, by the way. Oh, I agree with you on that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And can I can I just say as well? The other thing is that 
I think we all we all have things we struggle with um, in this area. So, for example, um, I'm not sure whether it's coming across today, but um, I, I, I know my voice can be reasonably loud. I know that I'm a talker, for example. I know that I'm a person that fills silence with talking. Um, and so these are all things that I try to get better at over time. Now, the thing is, most of the time, even in a work situation, most people are not going to make absolutely critical errors. But I think the key in the practice is to try to pick things that aren't going to actually affect your life in a major way, but also to speak to people who are not like yourself. That's the thing that makes the difference. Um, you know, especially when you're in other people's living in other people's cultures, you can see if you can influence people to like you, to talk to you in a culture that isn't your own. And quite often in a culture where the social rules you don't completely understand. So you're out of your comfort zone anyway. So there are a lot of things you can do to just get better at these things and feel a bit more comfortable about them. It, it, I think once you actually become conscious of this and you it's going back to that examined life point i think once you really become conscious of the fact that you know being aware of your micro behaviors during interactions with people it's incredible how clumsy a lot of people are do you know what i mean do you see yeah. that because you you, yeah, must, you you must do this because you, you you're so aware it's so in the front of your mind but the clumsiness of so many people's social interactions is, i find astonishing i i think so i think the biggest thing that i when I think of what I'm good at or what I'm naturally good at compared to other people, probably the, the biggest thing I notice is around picking up on other people's moods. And, you know, there are, there are people who are extraordinarily better um, than me at doing this, and I'm not always good at it. But the example I remember is, you know, when I was at school, one of the reasons why I probably n never really got into much trouble is that I was very good at working out when the teacher had had enough. So I, I I was a very studious person, but I also liked to have a real laugh. But I never pushed it if I could see that the teacher was getting annoyed. And I remember other people just continuing to muck around when the teacher was clearly about to explode. And me just thinking to myself, but you push that button and this is going to be the reaction. And nine times out of ten it was. And so in the, I can see a clumsiness in the way that people don't pick up on what it is that other people want. And I'll, I'll give just one practical example of that for more recently. Um, I went to stay at a hotel in Amsterdam for a conference recently, and I'd been walking around the city and I'd actually gone to try some, uh, I, I tried some Dutch beer on my way to the hotel. And I really just wanted to rest in my room before sorting out a few things for this conference. And the person who was running the hotel just wanted to speak to me. Maybe they were bored. Maybe they wanted to sell me some tour. And they didn't pick up on at all on the fact that my body language, I hoped, was screaming at them, leave me alone. I'd like to have a rest. I just want you to show me to my room. And so that was another example, a negative example of when I could see that actually sometimes people just don't pick up on other people's behavior at all. Yeah, I've, that's, similar things have happened to me in hotels. There is a running theme of beer going through your conversation <laughs> here as well, by the way, <laughs> just in case you weren't aware of it. Um, when we finish this recording, I'll tell you where I've had, a, I think, probably the best beer ever. Oh, great. I can't wait to talk to you about it. Fantastic. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that after after the, we've finished. Um, <laughs> I was actually somebody who did continually get into trouble at school precisely because I wanted to push the teacher just to see what happened. Ah. Uh -huh as a kind of sports thing, not in any kind of cruel way, but just in the sense that I wanted to pit myself against them to see what happened. Wow. Just That's amazing. It was kind of, um, it was never cruel or never in, in that sense, but it was just kind of, a sort of oh, go on then, see what you can do. You know, I just wanted to take them on just to see what I could do. That's amazing. Was it was it um, because you were intellectually bored in the classroom? Was it that you wanted to test yourself against an adult, do you think? I'm just curious. I I, well, yeah. I mean, it wasn't always intellectual. I mean, sometimes it was. I'm not. I'm not so clever that I, I, I or so arrogant to think that I could. Well, I probably was arrogant. Actually. <laughs> but You're not now. You're not, not, now. not now, anyway. But uh, I, I certainly certainly wasn't so intellectually um, fantastic that I really felt that I could take them on on everything. Although to some extent there was that, I suppose. It was just. It was kind of. It was more of a round and assertiveness thing. I just wanted to say, go on then, try and push me around, see what you can do. See what I can get away with. It was just something in there. I can't quite. But anyway, this is we're going off on a tangent here. It made me far less influential because I was just considered as a complete pain in the ass. Quite rightly. Do you, know, 
But, you know, I, I don't think it's such a tangent as well, because I think what you were doing there, even if you weren't recognising at the time, is that you were experimenting in a way. And actually, you know, when we all look back at what we were like as, as children and teenagers, etc., in some ways our behaviour may have been quite different. Um, in a sense, though, I think part of the problem is, as adults, as we go into these silos, um, as we work in particular industries in particular ways, we we don't really experiment in the same way. And I think it's experimentation that will really lead to improvements in our ability to influence others. So it's something we should keep trying to do, I suppose. It was definitely experimentation. And I think it was around experimenting on what I could get away with in terms of flouting authority. It was a kind of very anti-authoritarian yeah. stance, which is, is still with me. Yeah. Um, and I still kind of experiment with that to some extent. But I think that the point linking back to this was... I did become much less influential, I guess, although I wasn't necessarily trying to be influential, but because between me and the teachers, they ended up then being problems. Yeah. Because as soon as they tried to assert authority, I was, come on then. Yeah. Try it out. And of course, they always won because they were the bloody teacher. Exactly, exactly. But I was still playing that game, but it was always as soon as they played the authority card. If they just had a laugh with me or if they tried to convince me, uh, you know, intellectually or something, I'd have been fine. But as soon as you play that authority card, I'm going to start messing around with you. But do do you know what? You've brought us here on to actually a a slightly different um, area, which is really, really useful, which I, I I didn't think of mentioning, which is I think a huge part of influence is understanding yourself a little bit. And understanding yourself, you know, totality as a person and your hopes and dreams and fears, but literally just understanding what influences you. And quite often we don't think, I think, carefully um, and analytically enough about what influences us. And then we go out there in the world and try to influence other people. So every time we are trying to interact with another person or putting a piece of content out there into the world, I think we need to think about what influences us so would this be convincing to us and also is it possible indeed likely but other people will be influenced in different ways to us so if we're just trying to convince people with arguments that we know we would be seduced by that's probably not going to work because people are so different from each other but having an awareness of self and the way you're influenced is a good start yeah that's a really good point i hadn't thought about it like that but it's true, and you know, I know that I have come unstuck because I've attempted to try and influence people through the things that influence me, which is essentially yeah. some sort of solid logical argument delivered humorously. That's kind yeah. of, I know that's my favourite approach to pretty much everything in life, in fact. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and no, sorry, emotion, sorry. Emotional arguments uh, mean absolutely nothing to me. I mean, zip, and arguments from authority just bristle. I just bristle immediately and I disagree with everything anybody's saying immediately no matter how much I might have agreed with it before. Well, <laughs> the reason I was laughing is just because, well, you've been making me laugh during this podcast, and I think one of the things that I really notice, being British, is that other um, other cultures don't always use um, humour in the same way. And so one thing I always uh, find if I meet British people uh, when I'm abroad, for example, is that very quickly we will lapse into humour. Um, and of course, British people can use humour in all sorts of ways. And I'm not, I'm not saying that other other cultures don't use humour, of course. But I think what's really interesting is that just to see, actually, maybe some of those approaches would work more with British people and less with non-British people. But if you've grown up in a particular culture, those are the coping mechanisms and those are the techniques you use. So when we're stepping outside these silos, we just need to think, that's great, that helps in this situation, but does it help in that situation? Yeah, and other things have come up <laughs> in my uh, unexamined phases of my life. Um, but uh, just, you mentioned previously about this model leaps, which. Yeah. Um, so do you want to just very quickly run through what the different aspects yeah. are of that model? Actually, I do really know this because I've, I've read your book, <laughs> but so I'm just pretending I don't know right now. But if you want to uh, just quickly run through what the letters stand for. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I, we've we've covered two of the points. So um, the L is for likability. I'll, I'll explain those briefly. The E is for expertise. The A is for authenticity. The P is for personal brand. And the S is for synthesis. 
And so just very, very briefly, likability isn't um, about that everybody needs to be your friend. It's just do do people feel that they like you a little bit? Are you friendly? Do you come across as a person that they want to talk to and listen to? And if you don't do that, it's quite hard for you to influence people. Um, expertise is simply around, do you have something specific about yourself that other people might be interested in? And are you good at articulating that? So do you have some sort of skill that other people can notice? Authenticity, we've really spoken about. It's how you uh, present yourself to the world. And if you try to present yourself consistently about uh, across different situations. So someone inauthentic will write on Twitter really, really rude things and be horrible to people. And in real life, they wouldn't imagine doing that. Um, personal brand, I won't dwell on because we've talked about it. That's the P. And then the S, synthesis, is just about bringing all the other parts together. And it's recognising that in most cases, if a person is lacking one of the other areas, they will not be influential. For example, a person might be likeable, have expertise and a good personal brand, but not come across as authentic. They might come across as trying to be somebody that they're not. And in that way, if one of those aspects falls down, they probably won't be able to influence people effectively. It's a good model. I, I like it. In fact, I used it the other day, in fact, oh, about really? a week ago. Oh, was it? I don't know, two weeks ago. Yeah, I used it in a session. We did a, um, a refresher on influencing because I've been working with one particular group in, uh, in Switzerland, in fact. And we just, this is, I think, the third session that we've had together. And so I brought this in because I hadn't used it previously. And uh, wow. we talked we talk through the different aspects of it. So, yeah. That's so, such a great, that's such a great honour. Thank you very much. That's amazing. You're welcome. You're welcome. It was good, though. I have to say, it, it sparked quite a nice conversation. Because I think one thing that um, I find when I introduce influencing in workshops or it's an influencing workshop and we start talking about it, is people are looking for some kind of magic formula yeah. that allows them to walk into any situation as an unknown individual and immediately be influential. Yeah. Which, of course, you can do if you hold a position like monarch yeah. or president. Of course, you know, big boss. Of course, there's an element there that comes with the title. But most of us walk in there without any such sort of writing on our heads or no, any such crown or title. And just being able to immediately be influential isn't that easy. No. It it really isn't. And also, um, you know, I think what you've touched on there is the concept of influencing without authority. And that's really what we're talking about here. You know, people can influence simply because they are the head of a company. And even then, though, they need to think about how they're influencing people over time. But really what we're talking about here is people who don't necessarily have authority and still need to find a way to influence. And the other thing is, is that there is nobody out there in the world right now who is perfectly influential because you could take somebody, you know, you could take a titan of industry and then you could put them in front of a, um, a classroom of primary school children and they wouldn't know how to influence them because they don't spend most of their day thinking about how primary school children think. So in that context, the primary school teacher would be the best person to influence them or the, the parents of the children. So not everyone can be influential in every situation but what we're trying to do is to say here are some of the things that you should think about and you need to take steps to grow these things over time yeah i think the growth things over time thing is important and one quote that i tend to use as well is influence is largely a matter of patience which comes yes, from lord varus it comes from lord varus from game of thrones game of thrones no way yeah oh i didn't know he's, he's one of my favorite characters i didn't realize he spoke about influence amazing yeah, he went on to say something like, or he starts the quote with something like, influence is like a weed. Uh, it yeah. grows, blah, blah, blah. It's largely a matter of patience. So I miss out a bit about the weed, because that doesn't sound particularly positive to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think I remember the bit about the weed. Maybe I'm thinking negatively. I remember he metric side about a weed, but that's a fantastic quote. It's a fantastic quote, and it's also fantastic because, for anyone who knows uh, Game of Thrones, it, he's a man who is, you know, the personification of patience. And I think quite often the sort of scary thing about growing your influence can be... I often do things that I hope will add to my influence over time, but they may not. 
And one of the ways in which I think people can be influential is sometimes to give things to other people with no expectation of reward. So if you're a person who can generally be helpful to other people, over time, hopefully people should be helpful back to you. But critically, it might not be the same people. So when people are thinking about influence, they shouldn't just think, how can I influence this one person or this one group? And what will that mean for me? They should think generally about how can I be a person who makes a difference to other people? And how can I allow people to influence and make a difference to me? And it might not be the same people sometimes. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's one of Cialdini's weapons, isn't it? The reciprocity. Yeah, those completely. things. And I noticed that there's, some of these things are kind of reinforcing because like you were just saying there, if you become the kind of person that does that, then that ad, adds into your personal brand yeah. and makes you more likable as well yes. as creating a sort of a reciprocal, potentially creating a reciprocal uh, situation where you could be more influential. Or, uh, the other thing I'd say is that, and this holds true for most aspects of people's lives, I suppose, is that myself, for example, I want to grow my influence over time and I have some sort of, you know, end goals in, in mind. But mostly the reason why I like influence is because it enables me to have a richer life. Um, so as one very practical example, um, at some point, someone influenced someone that we're getting to speak to each other today. And I wouldn't have been able to meet you or speak to you had I not have a prior conversation with other people stretching back. And actually, so for me, it's about the opportunities that it opens up, which enables you to lead a richer life. Because otherwise, I think that what people do is they just project themselves so far into the future and say, you know, what would be my dream job or my dream opportunity in the future? But influence should help you to have a better life now and to hopefully help other people now, too. Yeah, because it opens up those choices, doesn't it? Yes. Because it opens up opportunity. You don't necessarily have to open all those doors, but at least they're there. They're presenters. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, I think for me, because I'm just an intensely curious person, um, I, I just like to have the opportunity to speak to different people and discover different bits of the world. And the more influence you have, as you say, the more doors you can open. And you don't have to open any of the doors, but it's a comfort to know that you can. It's a comfort to know that's available to you. Listen, Alex, thanks very much for this, because I think you've, you've put in quite a lot of things there that any of us wanting to be more influential need to think about. And also, if we are running workshops on influence, there's lots and lots of content in this conversation. Is there any aspect of this that you've found that when you're talking to people or when you're working with other people, when you're running workshops or whatever, is there any particular activity or any particular way of saying things which really kind of breaks through and has a tends to have a really good big impact on people yeah i i think i think one of them is is a, a very sort of um uh, short exercise that i get people to do which is called the perfect day exercise and it does exactly what it says on the tin it's just getting people to think about what would be their perfect day um but a perfect day that involves some aspect of work and the reason why I think it's so important is because it gets starts getting people excited about how if they could have more influence, they could get closer to this perfect day. And the perfect day might include where they're living, um, who they're having their lunch with, um, what they're working on, who they're influencing. I think the biggest thing that probably resonates with people is where a lot of people are so busy um, and doing really important work but kind of busy and, and, and can't can't sort of see outside that. But it's really nice to be given the space to kind of dream big and think about what it is that we really want to do. And one of the things that I'm always say to people is that you have to think about what you would do if you got lots of influence. You, you, it doesn't work the other way around. So otherwise, what will happen is you'll get to a position of influence and you won't know what to do with it. So I say, if you had a lot of influence, what is it that you'd actually do? What do you actually care about? What do you actually want to influence? And getting these people to have these conversations with themselves about the things they really want to do in their lives and have in their lives, I, I think breaks through to them that this isn't a dry topic. This is something that will really affect them. And that's your perfect day would be set up like that. So imagine you had a lot of influence. Yeah. What would yeah, that working day be? Absolutely. And, you know, essentially, imagine that you could do all the things that you, you, you'd ever dream of, dreamed of. 
what what would that practically look like? Because as soon as you start working out what that would practically look like, um, you can work out um, paths to getting there, how achievable it is. And I, I won't go into detail, but basically a little more than a month ago, I wrote down my perfect day and I put it up on my website. And then um, I, I thought to myself, I didn't write it in the piece, but I thought, I wonder how long it will take me to get there. And I thought maybe at least a decade, if, 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 if not more. Um, and then amazingly, about three weeks later or something like that, I had pretty much my perfect day, um, which was when I went to Amsterdam for this conference. And the things that I wanted to do I mirrored very closely what I'd wanted to do in my perfect day. Not absolutely, but through taking advantage of an opportunity to go to a conference, it opened up all of these possible things for me. And I think often these things are closer than we think, but we have to lead an example an examined life we have to think what is it we really want and how systematically can we try to get there okay that's useful that's kind of a nice way of starting a session on that because it gives you that positive thing to think about and to aim for and i think people probably don't think about that question of what would you do if you were influential they probably just think i want to be influential and not really have that thought through why to do what to achieve what so yeah and again it's that it's that examined life um, again, you know, I, I see so many people and speak to so many people who are doing things that I, you know, couldn't even imagine doing, but don't necessarily even seem very excited about it or proud about it. And maybe it's because they don't think about it very much, or maybe it's because they actually should be doing something else with their lives. But, you know, you can't tell just from the fact that someone has a, a brilliant type, job title, how they feel about the value of their own work. And so this that activity and activities like it are just helping people to redefine, you know, almost like when you're at school and somebody said or you're a child and someone said, what did you want to be? What did you want to do that? You have a blank slate and it doesn't matter what your present job is. You know, most people are going to change careers now several times in their lives. So we do have the opportunities to do most things. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, everybody can be a rocket scientist, but it does mean that people can think critically about what it is they want to achieve with their lives. Listen, thanks, Alex. This has been a really interesting conversation and gone on longer than I intended. But I think that's to do with your secret skills of listening and making me reveal all that stuff about myself that I don't normally say on the podcast at all. So, No, it's to do with your uh, good skills of question asking, because we went in all sorts of different directions that I hadn't considered, and I especially didn't consider that Lord Varys was going to be involved. So, Well, I don't know if that skills so much as... Uh, <laughs> as just... <laughs> but anyway, thank you very much. That's, that's a really interesting conversation. So thanks, Alex, and hopefully we'll see you again on this podcast. Thank you very much.